Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. My name is David Intracasso. Today's sobering topic is the long-standing excessive and inappropriate use of antipsychotic drugs in nursing homes. With me today to discuss the issue is Dr. Diana Zuckerman, President of the National Research Center for Women and Families. Welcome, Diana, and thank you for your time. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. First, on background, there are approximately 15,000 Medicare-certified nursing homes in this country, with a total patient population of approximately 1.5 million residents. Substantial inappropriate use of antipsychotic medications in nursing homes has persisted for decades. This is because the inappropriate use of these drugs can or does compromise patients' quality of life. The medications, for example, produce listlessness and unresponsiveness. These drugs also pose numerous adverse side effects ranging from patient falls and urinary incontinence to stroke and to sudden death. And too frequently, these drugs are administered without appropriate patient or family consent. The simple reason why these drugs are widely administered to nursing home patients is to control their behavior, for example, control for wandering, or stated more bluntly, to chemically restrain patients. Here are a few findings from recent studies by the Office of the Inspector General of HHS published in 2011 and 12. Looking at 2007 data, nearly 305,000 nursing home residents had claims for atypical antipsychotic drugs. Half of these claims should not have been paid by Medicare, the OIG found, because the drugs were not used for medically accepted purposes. CMS, in a study they did in 2010, found in two in, that two in five residents with cognitive impairment and behavioral problems, but no psychosis, received antipsychotic drugs. Under Medicare, the OIG found further, nursing home residents were administered 20% of all antipsychotic medications. And lastly, in the 2011 report by the OIG, the Inspector General Daniel Levinson stated in his conclusion in part, families and caregivers should be outraged. My guest again is Diana Zuckerman, PhD, and Diana has since been um, has been the president, rather, of the National Research Center for Women and Families since 1999, a nonprofit, nonpartisan research and advocacy organization promoting adult and child health and safety. After academic careers at Yale and Harvard, Dr. Zuckerman worked for many years as a Senate House and Department of Health and Human Services staffer, as well as serving as a senior policy advisor for First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton and the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. Presently, Dr. Zuckerman is also a fellow at the University of Pennsylvania Center for Bioethics and serves on the board of directors for two nonprofit organizations, the congressionally mandated Reagan Udall Foundation and the Alliance for a Stronger FDA. And with that as opening comments, however lengthy, welcome again, Diana. Thank you. So let's begin. We're talking today again about antipsychotic drugs. So first, what are these drugs and what are they appropriately used for? The drugs, the names that people would know would be Seroquel, Abilify, uh, Geodon, Zyprexa, uh, Risperdal. Those are probably the, the best known. Some of these drugs have been widely advertised on television, and I'm sure people have seen these ads. 
Mm -hmm. And they were originally, uh, they're called atypical antipsychotic drugs. They're called atypical because they're different from the traditional antipsychotic drug. And such drugs were intended for schizophrenics, you know, for people who are hallucinating or have delusions and really cannot distinguish between reality and fantasy. After that, they were approved for uh, what's called the manic part of bipolar uh, disorder. Uh, bipolar is often called uh, manic depression, but um, it's not for the. De- it wasn't for the depressed part of manic depression. It was for the manic part. Uh, when people are uh, manic, uh, they tend to again have a little trouble distinguishing distinguishing between reality and fantasy, and they can get very agitated and upset easily. And, and that's what these drugs were originally for. But um, since then, they've been widely used for many other purposes, um, some of them approved by the FDA, such as um, major depression that hasn't been responsive to other drugs, and, but also for many things that aren't approved by the FDA, and that would include uh, dementia patients, patients with behavior problems, uh, it would also include uh, very anxious people so and people who are depressed but are responding to other kinds of medications. So the vast majority of uh, these prescriptions now are for people, uh, for purposes that are not approved by the FDA. And per my opening comments, this overuse is risky because it has some very severe potential, if not real, side effects. So let's just, for content or background, these drugs come with what's known as a black box warning label by the FDA. Can you explain what a black box warning label is? Sure. Um, Probably the one people are most familiar with is on um, cigarette packs, where you have a black box that says, the Surgeon General has said, basically, this can kill you. Um, Most black box warnings don't say the Surgeon General, but they'll say, Uh, this drug is very dangerous for certain people. In the case of uh, these atypical antipsychotic drugs, there's a warning not to give it to dementia patients. There's a warning that elderly patients are more likely to be harmed than helped by the drug. And these black box warnings are unusual. Very few drugs have black box warnings, and usually the companies fight very hard to keep these warnings off their products. So you know when there's a warning like this, you really should take it very seriously. And there were two specific to antipsychotics in 05 by the FDA, as you noted, used in treating dementia patients, and the black box said are at increased risk of death. And then in 2008, uh, they extended the black box warning to drugs beyond the atypical to the conventional antipsychotics uh, that you noted as well. Let's move on to, and again, I said, I made note of this in part of my introduction. What's your sense of why we see such a prevalence or why there's such a frequent overuse of these medications? I think the sad truth is that they're being used to control people's behavior. Uh, One of the side effects of these drugs for many patients is sedation. It really knocks them out, and it quiets them down. And that's why they're widely used in nursing homes, um, particularly nursing homes that, you know, don't have enough staff. But I think all nursing homes widely use these um, to quiet people down. And 
sometimes there isn't anybody to defend the patient against this misuse. Unfortunately, that's true quite often. And even when there are family members who are upset with how their loved ones seem to be completely out of it, for example, um, there's, a, there's a great deal of trust in the doctors and the nurses, and there's a sense that if this drug was prescribed, there's a good reason, and it should be used. I think a, another major problem um, that's a little harder to deal with is the fact that many doctors really don't understand the risks of off-label uses. Off-label uses are when um, a prescription is for a use that has not been approved by the FDA. The assumption is, well, these drugs have been approved by the FDA, so they must be safe enough and effective enough. But what some doctors don't realize and some nurses don't realize is that these FDA approvals are very specific to a particular use, in this case, psychosis, schizophrenia, or bipolar, so on. Um, and it's a, it's a risk-benefit calculation. Is it effective for those purposes? But also, even though there are very serious risks, what could be more serious than dropping dead suddenly, uh, which is one of the side effects, the ultimate side effect, I'd say, you know, is dropping dead suddenly. Um, even though that risk might be worth taking for a, a schizophrenic patient who otherwise can't function at all, most people would say that is not a risk worth taking for a somewhat agitated patient where the nursing home just doesn't you know, want to be bothered giving them a lot of attention. So you have to look at that risk and the benefit. If there's not much benefit because these drugs don't work for dementia and all they do is sedate, then why not pick another drug that's just as good at sedating a patient doesn't have the risk of killing them. And just to be clear or exact, it's not illegal per se to use a drug off-label, correct? A absolutely correct. It is not at all illegal. Doctors can do it. It's uh, The FDA doesn't like it to interfere with the practice of medicine, and they like doctors to decide what's best for their patients. The problem is some doctors aren't reading the research, aren't understanding the FDA warnings in a way that enables them to decide what's best for their patients. And to put a finer point on that, there was testimony by the FDA before the House in 2007 which stated that 15,000 nursing home patients die each year from off-label use of antipsychotic medications. So yes, indeed, very dangerous. Let me ask you about motive for the use or overuse in nursing homes. In your research, have you found or learned whether there's a correlation, you suggested it, between overuse of these drugs and staffing and training levels in nursing homes? Well, uh, let me put it this way. There's definitely a relationship between um, nursing home facilities where there isn't enough staff, but that's true of so many nursing home facilities. It's, you know, you can't really just pick on public facilities, for example. And the other thing that I can say from my personal experience of having two elderly parents in their 90s, 
was that although I was listed as the person that was supposed to be notified anytime my parents were put on a new medication, that just didn't happen. It almost never happened. And when I would find out that they were already on a medication and ask, you know, why did you put them on this medication instead of this other medication because this one you've put them on has higher risks, um, frankly, the doctors got annoyed with me. They didn't like it, and um, they didn't care whether I was an expert and knew what I was talking about or not. They didn't want to be bothered. They didn't want to ask me first, and they didn't want to answer my questions later. So I could only imagine what it would be like for a family member who, you know, isn't used to, you know, fighting City Hall the way I am, you know, to deal with doctors and nurses who are not uh, really interested in what they have to say. And I will also say we've heard from many, many um, family members across the country who had very bad experiences where a family member was put on Seroquel or Abilify or one of these drugs in a nursing home, in some cases died, in other cases um, were sedated to the point of non-functional. And when the family members asked, um, why did you put them on this drug? They weren't given a good answer. When they said, what about the black box warning? They found out about it. They weren't given a good answer. And when they were asked, well, I want you to take my mother or my dad off Seroquel or one of these other drugs, they were told, oh, that's really dangerous. You know, once they're on it, you really don't want to take them off of it. And there's some truth in that. But you can imagine what a catch-22 this is. You don't ask permission first. You can't ask permission of the patient who's not capable of giving it. You're not asking permission of family members, many of whom wouldn't know what to say even if asked, but if they did, they might have an opinion. And then when they try to get them off, they're told, oh, no, no, you can't do that now because um, you know, it's really disruptive to a brain to be put on these drugs and then taken off these drugs. So there are so many issues here. And, and I can say from my own experience, uh, my parents were in a Quaker, private, very expensive assisted living facility, and I still you know, couldn't get the time of day in terms of being notified ahead of time of what drugs they were going to be put on. Maybe one other uh, question before we go to what's being done, and that's, and I'd be remiss if I did not ask, this is the issue of pharmacy or pharmaceutical marketing practices. Per your comment, I did my research and found that three of the drugs you mentioned, Seroquel, Zyprexa, and Respiradol, between uh, 09 and 12, were collectively fined $3 billion. So that suggests what? Well, these are huge fines, and you don't get fines like this very often. They were fined for a variety of reasons. In some cases, there were kickbacks to nursing homes, where, and this would not be generally to a specific nursing home, it would be to a chain of nursing homes where clearly a company's policy was to encourage the use of these drugs inappropriately for patients who shouldn't be getting them and providing kickbacks to make sure that happened. And even when a company is, is fined a billion dollars or half a billion dollars, you know, depending, because there were several companies with several different fines, you know, honestly, that's not a lot of money given how much money these companies make from selling these products. And what's, in a way, even more shocking is how little press coverage that got. Um, how many people out there even know 
that Johnson and Johnson was fined, or you know, one of these other companies was fined. Yes, Johnson and Johnson for Risperdal this year was fined 1.1 billion for false and deceptive acts. That's right, and so you know, it's one thing when they're promoting it for off-label uses, that's terrible. But kickbacks, I mean, you know, how do you, you know, how do you ever justify that? And how could a major company that everyone has heard of in this country get away with that with hardly you know, a mention in the major media. Okay, thank you. Let's go then, as promised, to what's being done to try to address this issue. So CMS this year launched a partnership to improve dementia care, the goal of which is to reduce in the nursing home compared data utilization by 15%. There was a provision in the Affordable Care Act uh, attempting to uh, improve quality standards uh, in the use of these drugs, and there was a Senate Aging Committee hearing a year ago last month called Overprescribed the Human Tragedy and Taxpayers' Costs of Antipsychotics in Nursing Homes. And let me just add, since I noted that this has been a long-standing problem, this Special Aging Committee hearing in 2011 was preceded by the same hearing uh, by the same committee in 1992 which goes to the point of how long-standing. That same year, the predecessor to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, HICFA, noted the problem, saying that the problem in 1992 had existed for 15 years. And in 1975, a special aging uh, reference was made to quote-unquote chemical straitjackets. So despite the longevity of this problem, onto solutions. What do you think is being done and what might be effective? It's great that CMS is trying to do something. It's not clear to me how effective it is. Just this morning, I got a very uh, upset email from a woman who's been in touch with us before. Uh, her mom's in a private nursing home in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, she, this, uh, mo uh, this daughter had previously contacted me about the fact that her mom was put on Seroquel she demanded that her mother be taken off Seroquel. She got this song and dance about, well, now she's on it, we can't take her off of it, you know, saying that a day after they had put her on it. Um, she did eventually get her mom taken off of it, but she was upset this morning because today they said they were going to put her on Abilify. Now, that's the same kind of drug. It's exactly the same issue. And this woman had heard about Seroquel. I think she read about it on our website. She didn't know what Abilify was, but she now knows how to look it up. So she looked it up and, and said to me, how could they do this? After I told them, I didn't want her put on these kinds of drugs. And so it just shows that somehow this word is not getting out. One of the ironies is that this exact same nursing home uh, earlier this uh, week had told the same daughter that they had taken the bed rails off of her mom's hospital bed because the latest news was that that could be dangerous and patients could die, could strangle in a bed rail. Now, it's true that there have been exposés of that, but there have been a few hundred people dying over the last, I think it's five or 10 years, or maybe it's 15 years, compared to the thousands of people dying from atypical antipsychotics. So the irony that this nursing home was taking the bed rails off at the same time that they were pushing a variety of atypical antipsychotics with black box warnings that specifically say 
not to use it with dementia patients. It's mind-boggling. And since you mentioned Abilify, they were fined a half a billion in 2007 for illegal marketing. Let's, uh, let's go on. So, again, CMS is undertaking this effort. Uh, they're forwarding a couple of approaches. What's your experience been with the Congress's attention or legislators' attention to this issue? I should make note that it's called the Special Aging Committee because as a special committee, they cannot offer legislation. They are pretty much confined to just holding hearings. Yes. So what's your sense or optimism or not relative to the Congress? And I'm, I'm going to just quickly add, Senator Cole introduced a bill earlier this year, actually in September, with all of two co-sponsors to address this issue. And as you well know, Senator Cole is retiring. Yes. And Senator Cole has been great on this issue. His staff, his investigative staff have been great on this issue. It's a huge loss that he's uh, leaving the Senate. We don't know if his staff will be kept on by the new uh, chair of the committee or not. So we'll have to see. But um, it's true. There have been very few members of Congress that have really been active on this. He's one of the few. And uh, although I do think when senators or members of Congress hear about these travesties and tragedies, they're very upset. But it hasn't translated to anything else. And just to give um, two quick examples of what I think are other problems related to this, uh, I made a request for data from some of the studies of these drugs, Seroquel and other drugs. I made that request through the Freedom of Information Act. Actually, I first called our contact person at the FDA who said, oh, you should do this through the Freedom of Information Act. It's been two years. I've not yet received any data. In fact, they did provide me with some information about uh, within a year after my first request. Unfortunately, the information they provided was information that was already publicly available on the FDA website that I already had. Oh, redacted, by the way. Um, so it didn't even have all the information that would be publicly available to anybody. And it was completely non-responsive. I had asked for the data, not for the summary of the data. I wanted the actual data. And the reason why I want it is I want to see on what basis FDA made decisions about how effective these drugs are for major depression. I believe that um, if you know anything about depression scales, uh, the sedation effect and the appetite uh, that tends to go along with taking these drugs. It increases appetite and, in fact, can cause diabetes. It causes a lot of weight gain in a lot of patients. can be very dangerous just from that point of view, not even the sudden death issue. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to be con concerned about the side effects. It just so happens that two of the major side effects of these drugs are also um, symptoms of depression. And so you could end up with a depression score that looks improved because you're not having trouble sleeping when in fact you're having the opposite trouble you can barely stay awake um, or you know you haven't lost your appetite in fact you've gained so much weight that you're now uh, you know about to be diagnosed with diabetes so I wanted to look at the data we haven't been able to get it yet we have asked a few members of Congress to help us get the data hasn't happened yet I still hope it will happen but um, Congress has not exactly been on their toes 
on the, on these issues, unfortunately. Let me ask, this subject goes deeper for you, because not only do we overprescribe for adults in nursing homes, but there's another subpopulation. Will you address that, please? Sure, yeah. Not surprisingly, it's the vulnerable populations that end up being sedated. And so on one end, it's the elderly people with behavior problems, maybe who are talking too loudly or too demanding in nursing homes. The other group are the little kids who have behavior problems, maybe because of, you know, maybe because of ADHD or maybe because bad parenting, frankly, or, uh, you know, child abuse. So you end up with Medicaid kids being the other group that are frequently getting these drugs inappropriately. And in the state of Texas, for example, um, there was testimony at an FDA meeting of children under the age of one being given these drugs for bipolar disorder, which is just crazy because children <laughs> under the age of one can't be bipolar. I mean, they can barely speak. If they are bipolar, you'd never know. So they were in Texas giving these drugs to Medicaid babies under one, as well as children under three, as well as children under five. I'm sure this happens in other states too. It just so happened the testimony was about Texas. And let me say the FDA deserves its share of the blame on this. By uh, expanding approval of these drugs to children under certain circumstances and to adults under circumstances where the evidence that they work is really pathetic. Um, the FDA has given the impression to doctors that these are pretty safe drugs and doctors really don't understand that these drugs can suddenly kill patients. Okay, maybe time for two uh uh, final questions. So, to the likely, moreover, the family member, and you've given examples of family members calling you asking for advice, what more generically would your advice be uh, for nursing home patients, uh, or again, more likely their family members, what, they, what can they do to protect themselves? That's such a hard question to answer. It's the key question, but it's very hard to answer. I do think that changes have to be made on a global or national scale, that expecting each family member of each nursing home patient to solve this problem for their own parent or loved one is an, an impossible task. But while they're having to play defense. Right. But while they have to play defense, they should be asking, what are the drugs that my loved one is on? Please let me know and give me an opportunity to make a decision about other drugs. Then they have to go online. It's not very hard. You just look up the drug, put in the drug name, and put risks, and you will find pretty quickly what the risks are, the known risks of the drug. And that can be on the website, the official website, of the um, that the company has put, because the FDA does require when... Uh, when Johnson & Johnson, for example, has Risperdal, they can have a website for Risperdal saying how great it is. 
but they have to have a section on that website that very clearly has the black box warning and other warnings. That is required by law. Okay, thank you. And since I started this broadcast by putting the finer point on it and noting chemical restraint or chemically restraining patients, let me ask you this more uh, generic question. Uh, the comment you'll hear uh, in this subject field is behavior is communication, not a disease. So with that, let me ask, should patients ever be restrained? We've made great progress in reducing physical restraints. People say, well, we really haven't because in some we just transferred it to chemical restraints. But should patients ever be restrained? And if so, under what circumstances? You know, I do think there are circumstances where you have to restrain patients so that, number one, they won't hurt other patients and so that they won't hurt their doctors or nurses. Um, who No nurse is going to want to work in a facility like this if they're going to be physically attacked. Um, on the other hand, um, these facilities have not made good use of known effective therapies. And whether those effective therapies are things like pet therapy, where you bring uh, a docile dog in and the patient can spend uh, a few minutes petting them and that can be very comforting and feel very good, or whether you know it's you know other kind of activities which the patient enjoys. A lot of these patients are angry because you know, especially if you have dementia, it's very upsetting and frustrating and confusing. Um, but you can still give them enjoyable things to do, and when you do, they won't act out as badly. But if you just restrain them with drugs, you kind of lose the person in there. And that's mm -hmm. how family members feel. And it's, you know, it's a terrible situation that we have when we're using drugs to sedate people so that they're no longer themselves. Mm -hmm. And with that, unfortunately, we're at our time boundary. So, Diane, I'm genuinely appreciative. Thank you so much. Thank you.